This is Dr. Michael Wald, and today's topic is all about ending fatigue right now. And what I mean is, if we can figure out a plan once we determine why you're fatigued, then we can put into place real-life strategies for fatigue to go away. The only problem is that there are many, many different causes of fatigue, and most of which are completely missed by mainstream doctors, uh, and also maybe even by you other than the experience you might have had where you complain to your doctor that you have fatigue and then they look at your blood work and say, well, everything's normal, so maybe it's stress. Well, maybe the doctor didn't do the appropriate testing. Maybe the doctor did not interpret the test, uh, the test appropriately. Or, and very commonly, many of the considerations, many of the causes of fatigue are simply not even thought of. So we're gonna go over something like 30 or 40 different causes and don't let that intimidate you because, number one, you can always listen to the radio show again. And number two, you can take some notes right now. So for those of you that are new to the show, welcome. And for those of you that are that keep coming back to listen to Ask the Blood Detective, I want to thank you very much for that. The, the topics that I receive are always fantastic. And this allows me to give you what it is that you want to hear. And fatigue is a big one. I'll start off by saying that this whole concept that we have that we should be treating the cause of the fatigue is a good one, but often it's causes. So if you've been trying things that seem right, maybe you're eating a plant-based diet, maybe you're doing intermittent fasting, you've taken CBD oil, I don't know what it is, you've supported your adrenals, whatever. And if your fatigue isn't completely gone, well, clearly you've missed something. Lots of people say to me, Dr. Wald, well, you know, I'm 56, I'm 66, I'm 76, a certain amount of fatigue, is normal, isn't it? Well, of course. A certain amount of fatigue may be normal, but chronic fatigue, fatigue that is that continues to rear its ugly head on a daily basis, every other day, this is not okay. So if your fatigue is impacting your quality of life, then you're going to really want to listen to today's show. I just presented this talk uh, live yesterday to a large group of people, and I can tell you that most of the population has unnatural fatigue. All right, before I go on, I want to give you my contact information for questions. So if you want to email me uh, your questions or you have new concepts for future shows, please use this email, which is info at blooddetective.com, info at blooddetective.com. And you can go to my website at drmichaelwald.com. And if you look under the blog section at drmichaelwald.com, you'll see all the titles of the radio shows. You can just click on them and they will play for you. And I answer all of my emails, by the way, myself. If you want to reach me uh, for an in-person consultation or a distance phone consultation, you can call 914-552-1442. Okay, so let's talk about some basic causes of fatigue that are really not thought of or they are not managed appropriately. And the first is inadequate calories. If you don't have enough calories, you're simply going to be tired. 
Now, many of you say, well, I eat plenty of calories. Well, maybe you do. And let's assume for a moment you, you do on paper. You might not be eating the appropriate uh, calories from food types. So we have healthy fats, we have healthy carbohydrates and healthy proteins. So total calories could all be from protein, for example. So different people need different proportions of calories from different types of macronutrients. And macronutrients is a fancy term for proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. So now you should be thinking, what should I be eating in terms of the right ratio? Well, that's a really great question and I can't tell you the answer. I can't tell you the answer because depending upon your medical and health history, depending upon your percentage of muscle, water, and fat on your body, that's what tells me, along with some other factors, how much of what type of macronutrient you need. So for example, if I do a body composition on you and determine that you have, first of all, a low metabolism, a slow metabolic rate, and I know what your percentages of muscle and fat are on your body, and we know that, let's say we set a goal that you wanna lose weight and retain some lean body mass, which is a healthy thing to do, those goals will have me figure out the protein, carbs, and fats for, for you under those circumstances. If you work out at all, that would change it, and depending on what sort of workout you do, that would change the macronutrient composition even further. If you have cancer or any chronic illness at all that super uses your proteins, for example, then obviously you'll need more nutrition from the protein foods. So some of us would love to have some general recommendation, but they don't work. We have to figure out things for you based on testing you. That's just how it is. So the first consideration for any fatigue is you have to have the right calories from the right places. And you may have to eat your calories in certain ways throughout the course of the day. Or you might want to go a certain number of hours without eating. So many of you are thinking about intermittent fasting right now. Listen, 30 years of holistic healthcare has taught me that fads come and go. Intermittent fasting is a fad. Now that doesn't mean there isn't some value in it, but the way that it's generally practiced, not based and changed upon the person's needs, will not really produce any long-term lasting benefits in the majority of people beyond about three or six months. And if that's one of you, if, if some of you out there are doing intermittent fasting, you will see what I'm talking about. Feeling good, by the way, is not a criteria that something's working. I just got off the phone with a person who was doing intermittent fasting for a long time and she kept on insisting how well she was feeling, but she wasn't losing weight. Uh, I said, well, if this is about losing weight, then you know we want you to feel good, but we'll need to put that on the side you know, burner for now. We need you to lose the weight from the right places. So I've been measuring body composition tests, which tells me percentage of muscle, water, fat on a person's body. And... I have seen rare people doing intermittent fasting that is actually improving that in any meaningful way, which tells me that intermittent fasting, although it can work if based upon a person's actual needs, the way it's generally practiced out there is a mess and really doesn't have any long-term uh, benefits, might even be harmful. Another cause of fatigue is low thyroid function, otherwise known as hypothyroidism. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I've had my thyroid checked on my blood work. It's fine. Well, it might be good, but you might need to be better than good. So remember, 
uh, as I've said in many of the Blood Detective shows previously on Ask the Blood Detective, that the thing about um, your blood work is that let's say you're a woman of a certain age range, like 50. When you're told that you have normal blood, they're telling you that you have normal blood work that the average 50-year-old would have. And I don't know if you want to be the average 50-year-old from a health perspective or from a weight perspective or from a fatigue perspective. If I compared your blood to a 20-year-old, then I would have a lot more insights into how to change your chemistry to move in that direction. Again, if you're told that you have normal blood and you're not feeling well or essentially normal blood work, uh, your blood work is either incomplete, misinterpreted, or you need to be compared to a different age range of individuals and shoot for that. So for example, as a 53-year-old man uh, who can do two-hour workouts four days a week with weights and can run 50 miles a week, um, that wasn't happening if I was going to compare my blood work to a 53-year-old. But when I started to compare my blood work to a 25-year-old and to push my chemistry in that range, I was able to do things I couldn't do before. So your blood work thyroid testing might be normal, but listen to this. It's really important to hear this. You have to lose about 30% of your thyroid function before your blood work shows anything wrong. So if you're 29% abnormal, it will look normal on the testing. But doctors wait until it's out of the range because that's a disease and that means you get Synthroid or another type of uh, artificial thyroid hormone. So that's called nutritionally interpreting your blood and comparing it to healthier people. That's something, as the blood detective, I invented that concept and I have software that helps me figure out large amounts of, of lab data from people by comparing you to healthy, not just average men or women your age. Okay, let's move on to another cause of fatigue, and that would be the most common anemia on the planet Earth. Do you know what that is? Well, for those of you who said iron deficiency anemia, you're right. So iron is found in meat products, and you can find iron in plants, but iron in plants such as spinach, for example, is very poorly absorbed compared to animal protein. So if I have a person in front of me who says, I'm a vegan, I won't eat animal, then you know, they're gonna need supplementation. You know, Floridix and these liquid types of iron from plants, they don't work. They don't work for any significant amount of iron anemia. The most common cause of iron anemia in a woman who menstruates is menstruation. And iron is lost faster than it's, it's taken in or recycled. So that would need to be corrected according to the age of menstruation. And then if we have anemia past menstrual age and or in a man, we always want to think in a man or woman of a colon cancer or some sort of internal bleed, or it might just be internal hemorrhoids or external hemorrhoids. And then of course we look at the diet. Vitamin C, by the way, increases the body's ability to absorb plant-based iron, but it's still very poorly absorbed. And then there's another cause of anemia and that's called vitamin C anemia. Now. Even if you're taking vitamin C, you can still be anemic for vitamin C. If your body is using it faster than you're taking it in, then you'll become relatively anemic for vitamin C. So what I have my patients do once I've determined it's safe for them to do so is I have them do something called a vitamin C flush. I have them use my uh, detox eliminate highly buffered mineralized 
bioavailable vitamin C powder at a level teaspoon put into two to four ounces of water and consuming that every 30 minutes until diarrhea happens. And when diarrhea happens, that means the body's fully saturated with vitamin C. And then the amount of vitamin C that you continue with is not that much because you'd have diarrhea all the time, but it's two thirds of that amount after a one day break from the vitamin C after you've done the flush. And then I like to perform a comparative vitamin C level of the urine. So before I have someone do the vitamin C flush, I have them do a vitamin C urine test of vitamin C levels in the urine and vitamin C use in the urine. And that tells me if the efforts are meeting your needs. The reason why I put so much emphasis on vitamin C for fatigue or any health problem is that vitamin C participates in the largest number of healing and reparative enzyme reactions than any other nutrient, over 3,000 of them. The second closest nutrient is magnesium that is involved in around 500 different enzyme reactions. And then after that is probably zinc at around 185 or so. So we need to make sure that vitamin C is ideal because if it's not, see vitamin C also is stored in the adrenal glands, the stress glands. So people that talk about, oh, my adrenal glands are wasted, they're blown out. Okay, so you need to get vitamin C in there. You can't just take vitamin C. You need to be fully saturated. If you're not fully saturated, it's like someone, uh, you know, you, you pay to clean your house or your apartment uh, and they clean, you know, 85% of it or even 99%. It's just not the whole job. You must be saturated. So many other processes in the body depend upon vitamin C balance and vitamin C's association with the adrenal glands. And then there are many other types of anemias or deficiencies. You know, we started out by talking about inadequate calories, but protein anemia specifically is a real problem. And if we don't have enough quality protein, then we're gonna have issues with energy. We're also gonna have issues with repair, not to mention all sorts of other problems. How do you know that you're taking enough protein? You need to do a body composition to make sure you have a specific um, lean body mass measurement. And there are a few other ways too, but that's one of the more important ones. So here's another factor on my list of important considerations for causing fatigue and that would be malabsorption. So half the people say to me, what's that? Malabsorption. It's malabsorbing, not absorbing ideally well. So you can eat fantastically, but if you're not absorbing, you're going to be energy depleted simply because you do not have enough foodstuffs. That's the fancy term in the nutritional literature for foods, foodstuffs, I always like that. And uh, the body will start to shut down its energy um, apparatus and in the cells making you uh, very low in energy. So there may be many different types of malabsorption. So it's up to me to, to, to check those. So you might have two or three different types of malabsorption that would end up causing fatigue. And again, that would need to be addressed. I would say to you that even if you see in a bunch of doctors, including gastroenterologists, they don't generally do these tests. They're just not interested. And if you're thinking to me, well, that's strange. Remember, I didn't make this up. Many of you know this already. The doctors just don't care about it. They're just not going to even do the tests. So it's up to me to do these tests. Okay, let's talk about exercise. What is the role of exercise 
or possibly lack of exercise on energy production. Well, assuming that you're well-balanced nutritionally, excessive exercise um, should be, well, okay, excessive means relative to your needs. So if your nutrition's great and you're excessively exercising, you're still gonna end up with fatigue issues. Probably one of the most common causes of fatigue and over-exercises, exercisors, I should say, is a is depletion of glycogen in muscles. And that really knocks the person out. They, they are constantly tired after working out. And that shows that they don't have enough carbohydrate loading, producing glycogen, which is stored in the muscles and the liver. So once again, uh, body mass composition helps figure that out. And also consuming the right carbohydrates long enough before a workout and soon enough after a workout helps to replete and replace the glycogen production so that the next workout is better and then you're not tired in between. So there's some trial and error work involved in that to figure these things out. And that you can't fix with a vitamin pill. It has to be through carbohydrate uh, consumption and what we call nutritional timing. I'm just gonna spend a few moments on the concept of nutritional timing. So many of you know that there are healthy foods. Maybe let's call them plant foods. And there are healthy fats like avocados and raw nuts, seeds and grains, olive oil, things of that nature. The body certainly needs these foods, but depending on your goals, athletic goals, if you're sick, the body will benefit from you timing the intake of these foods with your illness. So from a sports perspective, the average individual who's not in particularly good shape, but that exercises on somewhat of a regular basis, if they would consume a carbohydrate drink within 60 minutes post-workout, after the workout, they will have a better workout the next time. That's just a, you know, a fact of sports science. So what I need you to hear is that if you've got one or more diseases, the timing of your foods and your nutritional supplements should be based upon what your needs are there. And that again is not something I can tell you on the radio because I don't know you. I would have to look at your chemistries and then we would have to come up with a plan of when and what you should eat from a food perspective and what supplements you should take and then determine what the timing of those should be within your, li within your lifestyle. So they have the maximum use. Another super important cause of low energy is hormonal deficiencies. Now, the whole area of hormones is a, quite a controversial one. I'm going to tell you one of the reasons for that. Uh, some of you may have seen the uh, interview of me on Channel 11 Picks where I was interviewed about uh, testosterone and then... At the end of the interview, the interviewee asked me what the best way is of determining if someone needs testosterone. And I said that it was based on their symptoms, not so much blood work. Lots of you spend all kinds of money on hormone testing. Now, I'm not saying that hormone testing is completely useless. It, it does play a role in specific circumstances, but let me explain to you very simply and accurately why you need to pay more attention 
to symptoms than levels of hormones in the blood or in the saliva. First of all, the body likes to regulate hormone level effects upon cells. In other words, if you've got a bunch of testosterone, pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, estrogen floating around in your blood, it has to permeate, it has to seep into the tissues so you can have effects. So if estrogen gets into your brain, it might help you feel more awake. It would age the brain much more slowly. It's good for neuroplasticity, which is a term referring to how resilient the brain is to avoid injury and to recover from injury. But if the brain cells are resistant to the estrogen in the blood, the level of estrogen in the blood could be normal, but it would be low in the brain, right? Because the brain is resistant to it. Or what if the estrogen levels or DHEA levels or whatever the hormones are we're talking about are high in the blood? Because the organs need to regulate the amount of hormone they receive, if there's too much in the blood, then the cells become slightly resistant I shouldn't really say slightly, I should say more or less resistant to regulate the amount of hormone getting into the tissues from the blood. I hope that was clear. Now, what you can work on nutritionally is providing the right nutrition in the form of diet and nutritional supplements that enhances the ability of the tissues to regulate hormones. So for example, if you have too much inflammation in your body, Hormone receptors in the brain, in the thyroid, in the fat tissue, in the small intestine, in the large intestine, in the heart, in the blood vessels, everywhere there are hormone receptors. But if you've got too much inflammation, those hormone receptors are jammed up, more or less depending on the tissue. So the way in which to improve hormones would be to reduce inflammation. And the way to reduce inflammation would be to identify what inflammation we're talking about. Are we talking about C-reactive protein type inflammation, homocysteine type inflammation, ferritin type inflammation, fi uh, fibrinogen inflammation, uh, oxidative stress inflammation? So there's not just inflammation, just like there can't be an anti-inflammatory diet because we have to know what we're dealing with and how to deal with it. So once again, social media, uh, various uh, information outlets, some TV shows, radio shows, they talk in generalizations and globalizations not knowing you. So this has to be figured out. I have my patients fill out detailed hormonal questionnaires regarding symptoms which point me to knowing which hormones they need. And that's part of the picture, it's not 100%. And then I use my 30 years of, of common sense or clinical sense to figure things out. And the other is different tests, um, blood pH, lactic acid levels, different types of tests that help figure it out so that you end up with as much energy return that was stolen from you caused by hormonal resistance, sometimes hormone deficiencies. But again, if your blood levels show deficiencies, your cell receptors may be upregulated and more sensitive and they use it normally so the cells don't have a deficiency, it's just the level in the blood. All right, these are just facts of biochemistry. And for those of you who don't know, I published um, a bestseller called The Anti-Aging Encyclopedia of Laboratory Tests, which is a 500-page textbook which is sold to healthcare providers and is actually required reading for the largest nutritional organization in the United States. I'm sorry, actually worldwide, which is the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists. So 
I know lab, thus blood detective, okay? Uh, but now you can know it as well. It's always good to try to learn something about these things before you go to see a practitioner. Because sometimes practitioners, and they mean well, but they might oversimplify and say, yeah, hormone deficiencies, you may not have a hormone deficiency. You might have an insufficiency. You might have a normal hormone level, but you need much more because you're up to doing more things with your health. So all of this has to be worked out, and it can be, and it can be. For those of you, again, just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. You can email me at info at blooddetective.com. You can go to my website at drmichaelwald, W-A-L-D as in david.com. Look at the blog section. Look at the video sections. I have tons more short two to three minute videos going up uh, every week, and uh, hopefully that will will um, satisfy a lot of your questions and concerns that many of you have asked wanting to hear about certain topics. So I'm doing about 60 different topics. So probably what you want is there on the website. And if you want to work with me either in person or at a distance, you can call me at 914-552-1442. Okay, let's talk about the stress response for a moment. So the stress response means that you react a specific way to stress in your life. If it's physical stress, it could be environmental stress, changes in weather. It can be toxins in the environment, whether they be in uh, food, water, or air, for example, or toxins made in your body, known as endogenous toxins. These are all stressors upon your body. Aging is a stress. Repair, gaining health is a stress. And that means the adrenal glands, your adrenal glands, of which you have two of them above your kidneys, will need to respond. So you can think of the adrenal glands as sort of like a filter for different stressors. Now stress, and thus stressors, can affect and be impacted by every single thing we've talked about. In other words, if you have an inadequate diet, maybe it's calories, maybe it's proteins, maybe it's vitamin C deficiency, maybe you're malabsorbing, you're gonna be deficient in your ability to maximally or ideally or optimally manage stress. And therefore, your body will break down in various ways, which could end up being cancer or autoimmune disease or who knows what else. So managing your stress is important. We don't have time today to discuss stress management in a lot of detail, but you might want to listen to my other show on the stress response, which you can find under the blog section of my website at drmichaelwald.com. But finding out the right coping mechanisms and applying them daily will take you a long way towards managing stress. If you ignore this and you're a high-strung individual doing all the right things, uh, you're going you're gonna to miss a lot of the potential effects that properly managing stress can afford to you. Another area that may be affecting your energy, because we are talking about energy, is medications, or I should say are medications and drugs, whether they're prescription or non. So in medi- medications, for example, like antihistamines, obviously cause energy issues. They basically slow down energy production in cells. But I need to tell you, and you probably know this, but many medications, probably 85% of them, cause fatigue on some level. So we can't ignore that. Now, if you're on medications that you need, we might be able to make up for how they are adversely affecting cellular energy and therefore your perception of wakefulness by using the right combinations of nutrients and medications. Those are called 
synergistic drug-nutrient interactions. And there are antagonistic ones that are bad. So it's very important to be aware of what nutrients and what medications you may be taking might interfere with one another in both positive ways and negative ways. Now, you must see a doctor of nutrition for that that has special training in uh, medication and nutrient interactions. Um, as a dietitian as well, as one of my degrees, they're not, we are not taught in dietitian school about that. It's not, ta- it's not done. But quite honestly, uh, the whole dietitian education in, in my personal experience is woefully inadequate. Of course, you have dietitians, uh, I'd like to put myself in, in that category, that go beyond the basic training and learn other things, but that's not always the case. So you want to go to a doctor that knows laboratory work and that knows drugs to figure out the drug-nutrient interactions. Moving on, jet lag obviously is a cause of energy problems because it has confused the nervous system and the neurohormonal system because of the change in time and the stress of traveling. There are no miracle cures for jet lag. There just is not other than time. If you're not affected by traveling, uh, that's great. But, you know, no amount of melatonin or secret uh, methods are going to magically make jet lag go away. You simply have to rest up and take care of your body the way that you need to. Alcohol. Alcohol is a toxin. Uh, Alcohol may cause enough stress in the liver that it creates stress in the body and that could reduce energy and Alcohol is largely carbohydrates causing an insulin spike and then hypoglycemia or low blood sugar, which is another cause of fatigue. Many things, by the way, can cause your sugar to go up and then go down. Uh, And they may have nothing to do with sugar or carbohydrates. For example, air pollution is known to be probably more important of a cause of diabetes than is sugar in the diet, and this is now known to be so. Toxins in the environment are breathed in, they make their way to the pancreas, they can destroy the very important cells in the pancreas that regulate and produce insulin called the uh, beta isolate cells. And then a person develops diabetes. They've done studies where people have breathed in car exhaust and their blood sugars you know, rise dramatically So pollution is a big cause of stress in the body that can affect it in many different ways, including wearing out your adrenals or causing hypoglycemia uh, and inflammation, which will then ultimately cause energy issues. Renal disease. I wanted to talk a few moments about renal disease because if you're over 60, the chances of you getting renal disease are extremely high. Renal disease is one of those diseases that happens so often in the elderly that doctors don't get too excited about it. If you're in adrenal, I'm sorry, if you're in renal failure, depending on the extent of it, you might be hospitalized and you'll be given IVs. And if there's a cause that can be identified, then that'll be treated and hopefully you recover. But the renal system is known to be one of the weakest systems in the body of human beings, maybe even of mammals. I'm not really sure about that, but certainly in human beings. And you want to prevent the kidneys from failing naturally, quote, unquote. 
because you'll live a lot longer if you do that. How do you do that? Well, my approach has been what it is with every other thing, every other thing I treat with, with, with my individual patients, and that is to fix what I find in that individual. So if you have hypertension and you have blood sugar issues and gluten intolerance, those things need to be fixed. That will take stress off the kidneys. If you have some other problems like vascular problems, that needs to be fixed. If you have too much inflammation, that needs to be fixed. So the cause or cure of any condition is to find the, the cause of that condition or causes and fix those. But you know, a lot of you know this, but we, you need to know it beyond just uh, lip service. You know, treat the cause, treat the cause. We want to treat the cause. Regular doctors don't. Well, I see a lot of holistic practitioners not treating causes. They may be giving you natural things, but you need to be looking for causes. Thus, the blood detective approach is how that's done. So as your own personal blood detective, you need to be asking the right questions, doing your own research, and bringing that up with a practitioner. If your practitioner does not like your research, does not like you to talk about things, does not want you to add to your own healthcare, then it's time to find another healthcare practitioner. Other causes of fatigue have to do with what we're just about to enter into here, season-wise, is cold and flu season. And I'm telling you, this is gonna be a bad one. I'm already seeing people with pretty bad upper respiratory uh, bacteria and viral conditions. And that, of course, wears out the body for lots of reasons. It's stressful. It blocks the airways. Oxygen intake is depleted. There is a lot of inflammation, a lot of mucus buildup, which just backs up our lymphatic system and quite a number of other systems. So we want to improve our immune resiliency as much as possible. And there are some ways that are probably safe across the board to do that, like saying that you probably need more zinc, uh, make sure your vitamin C is up to par, you don't want to take an herbal sort of multivitamin herbal for the immune system in, in, until you know what you actually need. Um, and then also you'd want to look at what makes you susceptible to viruses or bacteria in the first place, and then you fix that. So I might look at your three immune systems. Maybe your susceptibility is due to circulation issues. You know, circulation problem means that you may not have enough circulation to your bone marrow or to your small intestine, which is where nearly 100% of your immune system lives when you add those two areas up. So my point, once again, is fix what you find and then direct your nutritional efforts to those things. And that is giving you what you need for your needs. So people come to see me all the time with chronic fatigue syndrome. So what the problem with that diagnosis is it makes you think that it's chronic fatigue in this person and we don't really know why. The definition of chronic fatigue syndrome does involve that a person can be diagnosed with that when there is no other obvious causes of the fatigue. That's just a definitional thing. But someone may have chronic fatigue syndrome because they have you know, a virus that they don't know about. Maybe they're malabsorbing, they've malabsorbed for years and suddenly chronic fatigue just kicks in. They might have inadequate calories. They may have hormonal deficiencies. They may be iron deficiency, deficient anemia, anemic. So there's all sorts of things that might predispose uh, a person to chronic fatigue uh, syndrome. And like I mentioned, we simply need to investigate through careful conversation of your health history and health goals and detailed laboratory work to look at most body systems to identify 
where the, the shortfalls are, and detailed questionnaires of all body systems to figure out what a person needs. Another cause of fatigue is arthritis. Believe it or not, everyday degenerative joint disease, which is called osteoarthritis, that's the most common kind of arthritis. But that form of arthritis and arthritis caused by autoimmune involvement, both can cause fatigue because they're both chronic processes and the body's always trying and struggling to repair itself. And that is an energy sucking process. So when I have a person with autoimmune disease like gout or pseudo gout or rheumatoid arthritis, for example, as you can imagine, as the different names and diagnoses would imply, that that person may need very, very different nutrition depending on what the condition is. So you read about arthritis and you read about glucosamine, for example. But if a person doesn't need glucosamine and they need you know, boswellia and resveratrol and turmeric, then you've missed the boat. So these are determined based on a practitioner's experience, again, questionnaires, testing, and a very thorough review of your health history and health goals. See, the nutrition that you would need to clean up your act, clean up your health, has to include where you wanna take your health. Like right now, I decided I'd play around a little bit in the weight room, and I'm going to be working out two hours with weights instead of one hour, uh, five days a week. So obviously, my nutritional needs will change. And if I had arthritis before then, and, and let's say I saw a nutritionist, a clinical nutritionist, and they told me what to do, and let's assume it's perfectly right. With what I just described in terms of my change in goals, you can imagine my nutrition is completely and entirely different. Most people I sit with, they completely underestimate exercise. I know that when I say to them, okay, we're gonna talk about exercise, and they'll say, yeah, you know, I, you know, I know what to do. Yeah, probably not. Um, most people do not know what to do in terms of their exercise, so that's why I have a gym in my office where I will sometimes have to actually personally train an individual to assess them and make sure that they're doing what they need to do. So I want people to have results, and we need to figure out ways of that happening that are also as doable as possible. So what about anxiety? Anxiety is like stress. It's, uh, it's very much like stress, the, the physiologic reactions to the body of anxiety to everyday stress are, are very similar. Now, I don't know how many of you out there have had an anxiety attack before, but anxiety attacks, from what I understand, can be really, really scary. Basically, as patients have described it for me, and this is different among different people, but a person would suddenly feel anxious and, for lack of a better term, quite stressed. Their heart might, might increase, their respiration rate, they may be breathing more shallowly and, and more often. They may have a sense of suffocation, uh, and it's, it's a little bit like a heart attack, which is why lots of people, when they have anxiety attacks, they go to the ER, and the ER finds nothing on the EKG, and that's one of the ways of, of letting us know that it's not a heart attack. However, anxiety attacks do increase the risk of getting heart attacks. They're not healthy. 
So through the stress reaction that occurs from anxiety, the, the entire body basically just ages badly. It, it's in a stress response. A stress response should be, well, and is an appropriate thing when required in life. Just like an animal in the wild might stress out if it's being chased by a predator. And once the predator's gone, the, as nature would have it, the animal should calm down. They should go from an alarm phase of the stress response to a resting phase. If the stress response is, is chronic and it's not stopping, the animal's still being chased, they eventually end up in an exhaustion phase which exhausts the body and then they're done. Either they get eaten or they're just exhausted. So anxiety takes a great toll on the body, both emotionally, energetically, and of course, physically, as all of those things are not separate they're only separate in how we speak about them. So different individuals will require very different nutrition and lifestyle management to uh, correct the fatigue, the chronic fatigue caused by repeated anxiety attacks. Most of the time a person has no idea and there isn't even a trigger, at least not a conscious one, to create an anxiety attack. So if you're suffering from anxiety and anxiety attacks and you're fatigued, that's what we need to address. There may be other factors too, like all the ones I've been talking about uh, all of this time, because it's, you know, human beings are not that, that simple. We tend to have a few things going on at once. And that's simply because everything works together in a, in a, in, in a way in which the body tries to balance things out. But when it doesn't, then we have these adverse symptoms like chronic fatigue that simply don't go away. That's a sign that the body is failing. So what about diseases like cancer, uh, heart disease, lung disease? So it's not too difficult to imagine and even understand why chronic disease like those diseases and others uh, will cause fatigue. Cancer, for example, is a metabolically exhausting process uh, resulting in fatigue. The fatigue can be from nutritional deficiencies or the fatigue could be from the chronic inflammatory response of the body to cancer. The fatigue could be from the body's response to trying to deal with cancer that is growing in the body and is spreading in the body. These are energy sucking processes. Lung disease is pretty straightforward. If you've got lung disease, emphysema, COPD for example, your oxygen intake will be affected, your cellular oxygen uh, utilization um, and availability will be less, and then cells um, will not receive proper oxygenation, and they shut down, and that results in fatigue. But a psychological condition like depression will also cause fatigue. If you started to walk around today, right now, like a depressed person, and you did that for about 10 minutes, I promise you, you will be tired. It the, the, the way in which a person holds themselves matters in terms of energy. So if you pretended to be super excited, you put your head up and your shoulders back and you took in nice strong breaths and you put a smile on your face, it's very hard to be tired like that, unless you're already tired. But it could help wake you up. 
My point is that how you conduct yourself and how you manage your internal dialogue matters a lot with how your brain responds to things. How about diabetes? Well, that's a chronic disease of blood sugar imbalance, hyperglycemia, and if we're talking about diabetes type one, and the thing there is that blood sugar could be high, but the body can be very fatigued because it's overwhelmed with sugar. In hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, the sugar level is low, and the cells will be starved of glucose, and they can also result in fatigue. So on either end of the spectrum, the hyper or the hypo side, blood sugar regulation must be balanced out. And again, it's fixed, not based on the fact that you may be diagnosed with diabetes. I can have 10 or 20 or 100 people with the same diagnosis. Their chemistries, other than blood sugar being elevated, might be completely different. So what they need is what they need for their needs. So what about conditions of the intestinal tract? The most common causes of digestive issues that cause fatigue are ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And there's another condition known as proctitis. They all essentially refer to varying types of inflammation in the uh, colon and uh, the way in which the colon is affected. For example, in Crohn's disease, there's inflammatory areas of the, of the colon that are visible and then there are normal areas of the colon, they look fine. And then there are another areas that look not so good and then fine areas of the not so good areas and they, that they kind of alternate. And ulcerative colitis is just, a, it's different than that. But they both are very, very similar in terms of how they're treated in medicine and what they are, which are again inflammatory conditions. So given that, these conditions are energy sucking and they're nutrient sucking as well and they're gonna cause fatigue. They're also associated with protein anemias, very commonly vitamin C anemias, B6 anemias, zinc anemias, and often many, many others. Now, I should take a second to make clear that um, each person with an inflammatory bowel disease may have different anemias or issues, but anemia means deficiency. But you might have normal levels of those nutrients I just mentioned or other ones, but you might need more. So you are relatively deficient or not optimal. Very important to remember that distinction. That's not something your regular doctors are gonna care about. They, they don't get taught in medical school. And a lot of practitioners, uh, even in the natural field, don't pay much attention to that other than understanding that and even, even teaching that, but not having a way in which to assess a patient for that. So, you know, my branding is blood detective, but I fulfill on the branding because I have te a technology called the blood logic software system that helps me interpret large amounts of data nutritionally and medically. And then I detect and I look and I search for what a person needs. So that's putting the, the concept to the task. So very, very important to understand that you might have a relative deficiency, meaning you're not deficient, but you are for your needs, relatively speaking, and that will not be obvious on blood tests at all. If a person's not feeling well and their tests look normal, then they need a new normal.
That's a yet another angle or way of explaining that. Let me make mention of sleep apnea. So just ba some basic things here that a lot of you out there have sleep apnea and you don't know it. Uh, you've been told that you snore. That's usually a sign of sleep apnea, but it doesn't have to be. The only way to know is you'd have to be tested by a pulmonologist. And sleep apnea is known to increase morbidity and mortality, so it shortens lifespan. One of the ways it does that is because it sets up a chronic inflammatory state due to low oxygen uh, concentrations and that result from the fact that the individual may um, hold their breath for long periods of time during sleep. And that sleep apnea effect is deadly uh, over the course of time, even in the short term. Sometimes sleep apnea is caused because a person is overweight and they've got too much fat in their neck or, or that sort of thing and their airway is impinged during sleep. But other times it's their autonomic nervous system simply don't work right. Um, or it might just be their, their posture in bed. Uh, sometimes sleep apnea can result from other health problems that if you treat those other health problems and diseases, the sleep apnea might go away. So keep in mind sleep apnea certainly is a cause of fatigue. So what about overweight? Being overweight increases the risk of a variety of diseases. And so does being over fat, meaning you might be of normal weight, but you may be over fat, relatively speaking. And being overweight tends to put a strain on the body physically, not and, and as, as well as metabolically, but just the physical strain is just tiring. You're carrying around 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100, 150 pounds or more of weight is a fatiguing problem. And being overweight is associated with hardening of the arteries, blockages of arteries, which will reduce the flow of blood to tissues, which will cause the tissues to be depleted of oxygen and therefore fatigue will result. Also, being overweight affects the balance of hormones in the body. It is caused by and affected by inflammation. So those are just a few other reasons that the body will have fatigue. If the obesity or overweight is associated with diabetes, for example, all of the aspects of degeneration of the body in the vascular system, in the renal system, um, in the cardiovascular system, will deplete the body of energy. And that's just a few of the highlighted areas of the body that are affected by diabetes that results um, along with obesity. That's a recipe for disaster, as they say. Well, what about toxins, like heavy metals or other toxins? Well, toxins are, by definition, substances that, are, that can adversely affect body systems. That's why they are categorized as a toxin. So mercury is a toxin, or I should say a potential toxin. We can tolerate a certain amount of mercury exposure. If we couldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mercury has no use in the body. So a toxin has no use. And again, by definition, it interferes with normal metabolic and other physiologic reactions. And some individuals, they can tolerate a certain amount of toxin certain amount of mercury over time, the body can compensate, not a problem, but then if it gets too much, then you name the problem, it can be caused by heavy metals like mercury, such as fatigue. 
Metals tend to cause chronic fatigue because they interfere with other natural metals in the body that it needs, like iron. So mercury can displace iron and can basically jam up various metabolic processes in the body known as the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle or the uh, mitochondrial respiratory system, which is the main cellular system that produces um, uh, ATPs in the body, which is or which are energy molecules. But my point here, without getting too technical into the physiology, although it can be fun, uh, is to recognize that metals should be utilized uh, or tested, I should say, um, in your health efforts for for finding solutions to fatigue. Now, not all metals are removed the same way. And not all metals affect the body the same way. Some metals are best eliminated through the stool, like mercury, so the nutrition used to remove it should remove them through the stool, not through the kidneys, you see. These are considerations I almost never see uh, considered by uh, even some of my you know, naturally-minded uh, practitioner friends. Um, the other thing is that not all metals testing is of equal accuracy. Uh, for example, there is no single best test for metals. Metals can be in the urine, it could, they could be in the plasma or the serum, or they could be in tissues. And there are tests of all of those things, and sometimes you want to do all three to make sure you, you can spot the metals wherever they are. But sometimes metals sequester themselves or hide in tissues and they don't come out. So there's a whole protocol I have regarding how to identify the metals and to know that they're gone. Uh, just because you take some chelator or do a 24-hour waste of your money uh, excretion urinary test does not mean that um, that's the correct way to do things. Okay, what was I just speaking about? I mentioned the 24-hour provocation urine test where the person would be instructed, the patient, to take an oral chelator and then if there are metals showing up in the urine, they've got toxicity. Even the best of us will have some metals in our body at, at all times. It may not even be avoidable. But if you take a chelator, you're definitely gonna have a positive test. And that can fool you into thinking that you have an actual big problem with it and you may not. So that's why these tests need to be considered in contact with your entire health picture, not just as a single test. Okay, and, and the same is true of other toxins. Different toxins affect different body systems. But a really important point to realize is that no matter which body systems you affect, there's only, there's only so many symptoms the body really shows. There's, a, there's maybe a dozen of them, for example. And fatigue is one of the main ways that the body shows that something's wrong. But as we now all can see, we have to consider the many causes of fatigue. Now you might be thinking, can I really test all of these different causes? Should I test for malabsorption and iron anemia and protein deficiency, et cetera, et cetera, you know, inflammation, metals, all of that? The answer is not necessarily. A good practitioner will be able to figure out which tests are important enough to run because for example, if I can make an educated guess that a person uh, needs protein, I might not want to test them. But if they don't respond to the protein supplementation I give them within a particular period of time, I would want to know what their body composition is to see if I guess the right protein. 
And if I did guess the right protein and they didn't respond or respond ideally, then they probably are malabsorbing. So I'd want to check that. If all that is done, but the person has a history of amalgam fillings, even as long as 10 years ago, I might want to screen them for metals. So this is the process to figure things out so that whatever the cause or causes are of your fatigue, it is, or they are, dealt with as specifically and as the most, the most personalized way possible because that's how healing gets done. So I'll end today by just stating what I think the two most basic tests are that can help clear fatigue. They may not be enough, but they should be done at least. The first one, some of you might guess, is checking you for malabsorption. Because if we figure out all the right foods and nutrients for you and you don't absorb them well, then you have wasted your time, effort, and your money. And then the other best test to manage fatigue by building health is the body composition test, also known as the bioimpedance test. And that test gives many, many, many indicators of health in the body that range from water balance in and outside of cells, which is a very important marker of cellular health. When a cell is decaying, not working right, losing its energy, therefore you lose your energy, the water balance in and outside of the cell will change and I can measure that and to know I've fixed it. Because you know, if you start to feel good, your energy starts to return, but you don't thoroughly fix whatever processes were wrong in the first place, then it's just gonna come back. In addition, the body composition test measures the energetics of an actual cell. All the cells of the body can measure it in under a minute and that's called phase angle. Plus, I mentioned earlier, I could measure percentages of muscle, water, and fat in the body. We want to make these measurements on a professional-grade machine that measures the entire body through an alternating current. So, thank you so much for listening to today's show on Ending Fatigue. I thought it was uh, thorough. I hope it is. Um, you've given me all kinds of questions on uh, different causes of fatigue, so I decided to just answer them all by reviewing them in a single show. I think it was pretty ambitious. This is as much information as I present to health professionals because I know that this audience uh, from Ask the Blood Detective can help it, or I should say can handle it because I've, I've read your emails and you're on a very, very high level. So you can contact me by calling me at 914-552-1442 or you can email me at info at blooddetective.com. I do in-person and distance consultations and... Because of this show topic, I'm offering a free body composition test to any new patient for the uh, top or the next 10 new patients that I do see. So it was a pleasure, everyone, and I'll see you on the next show. Take care.